Cassius Parada, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, cannabis in the age of coronavirus and smartphone makers feel the pain. But first, states going bankrupt. So it's becoming clearer and clearer that states are facing their most severe fiscal crisis since the Great Depression, with plummeting tax revenue and soaring obligations. What's unclear, though, is what the federal government plans to do about it. Now, there was about $150 billion in state and local aid in the original CARES Act, but most feel that's not nearly enough to cover what could be major budget shortfalls in many states, led by governors of both parties. But there is a partisan divide over whether or not more federal aid is appropriate. In short, Democrats want it. Republicans are less sure. Here's Mitch McConnell speaking last week on Hugh Hewitt's radio program. I would certainly be in favor of allowing states to use the bankruptcy route. It's saved some cities, and there's no good reason for it not to be available. So three things to know. First, states cannot go bankrupt under current law. Cities and towns and counties all can, but states cannot. McConnell seems to want it to be able to happen, but has not yet introduced any legislation to change it. Two, bankruptcy isn't the same thing as going broke. Bankruptcy is about not being able to pay off your debt obligations and then letting a court sort it out. Going broke is about having more bills than money, which is really the situation that most states find themselves in, and debt payments are just a tiny piece of that. Three, the politicization of this is maddening. President Trump suggested that only blue states are asking for more federal aid, but that's simply untrue. And just like it does a state no good to have any of its cities or towns in fiscal straits, it does a country no good to have one of its states unable to afford basic needs like safety and education. So why is this partisan fight happening? Well, the Atlantic's David Frum believes it's basically a power grab by McConnell and Republicans who view the advent of state bankruptcy as a way to lessen the power of public pension unions. It's not a new idea, but, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. So let's go deeper on that argument with the Atlantic's David Frum. So, David, I want to start. You lay out in this piece that you wrote that Republican desire for states to be able to file for bankruptcy isn't new. You note that Newt Gingrich and Jeb Bush wrote an op-ed in support of it nearly a decade ago. Just why do you think it hasn't happened yet? Why that legislation not only has never passed, it's never been seriously introduced. Let's begin by distinguishing between a state bankruptcy and a state default. Many of us use those as if they are the same thing, the state not paying its bills. But state default has happened often before in American history. Eight states defaulted on their debts before the Civil War. The state of Arkansas defaulted on its debt during the Depression in 1933. And the 14th Amendment, one of its clauses required former Confederate states to default on their war debts as a condition of readmission into the United States. A default is a sovereign act. Kings and queens have been not paying their bills for as long as they were kings and queens, and states stand in the position of kings and queens. They don't have to pay their bills. No one can make them. Well, well stop. So hold on for one second on that. Though. But the court can make them because, and this is my question, but if I'm making this up now, but if Illinois were to default on its municipal bonds, the bondholders would sue. The court would almost certainly rule for the bondholders, and they would order the bank to comply and, and hand over the state's monies. Right. But all of that would have to happen in a state court. Fair. In state law. You see, that's the thing that bankruptcy is about. It is not about how should states pay their debts. It is not about how should states wind back their debts. It's said what bankruptcy is about is who should be in command. Because remember, under the Constitution, bankruptcy is a federal exclusive domain. It is Congress's domain. So if what we are arguing about when we argue about whether states should go bankrupt is not whether states should have some way of escaping their obligations, that if they be, those obligations become too heavy. It's not whether states should have to do something about their pension funds, because in many cases, states have made unrealistic 
promises. Uh, and both blue states and red states, both Illinois and Kentucky, both New Jersey and South Carolina. What the demand for state bankruptcy laws is about is about putting the federal courts in charge of this process. That's what it's about. And that's why it is historically, or I should say, that's why over the past 10 years of Republican ascendancy, it's been Republican politicians who have most urged a state bankruptcy that is federally supervised working out of state obligations. Let me go back and we'll get to Mitch McConnell in a minute, because you're right. We currently obviously have Republicans controlling the Senate and the White House. But going back to, say, 2011, you did have Republican House representatives, but Democrats still had both the White House and the Senate at that point. Is your argument, I guess, going back then at that time that there was a feeling there was eight years of Bush appointees on the federal bench? And and thus, that's kind of how Republicans viewed it as a power grab then, even though they didn't have two of the three branches? It's about because Congress would not run a state bankruptcy. The federal courts would. And what the demand for state bankruptcy is about is about favoring certain state obligations over others. And we had very real experience of this when Puerto Rico, which is, of course, not a state, but a territory, and the many, many cities that have gone bankrupt under federal law, or cities can't. What federal courts tend to do is to put the claims of bondholders first and the claims of employees and pension holders last. And look, there's maybe a good argument for that. Maybe if you want to return to credit markets, it's good to have a good reputation for paying your bondholders. But back in 2011, when we were still in the throes of the 2008 financial crisis and states were making many adjustments, what a lot of Republicans were worried about, especially looking at a time when Republican dominance of state government was becoming ever stronger after the elections of 2010 and the census of 2010 and the redistricting of 2011 was that state financial crisis might cause states to raise taxes and might cause states to impose unfavorable conditions on bondholders. And politicians like Newt Gingrich and Jeb Bush then, politicians like Mitch McConnell now, look to the federal courts as allies on behalf of bondholders against pensioners. And look, my own bias, I'm with the bondholders. But the idea that you're going to bring in a ringer like this, that troubles me. Bondholders, pensioners, obviously two major expenses, although unlike, say, Alabama in in 1933, where I think over half of its obligations were to bondholders, it's usually around 5% in an average state today. Pension obligations are obviously larger. But the issue we've got right now in most of these states is really neither one, right? I mean, they matter, but the bigger issue is a massive budget problem, which is really born not of those obligations, but of increased medical costs, increased unemployment, and obviously massive falling tax revenue. So I wonder, from your perspective, is this conversation right now partially a red herring? Because this is really a budget problem, not a debt repayment problem. You are so, so right about that. And Mitch McConnell, when he raised it, was following the rule of it, never let a good crisis go to waste. It is not the pensions, as you say, that are at the root of what of the troubles that states face now. But this troubles that states face now create an opportunity for federal authorities to lever the policies they want onto states. And I think Mitch McConnell is realist enough to know that we are about to depart the age of Republican political dominance and we are about to enter an age of Democratic political dominance. And so as he goes out the door, he's trying to get as many judges on the bench as possible and to put an architecture that would give those conservative federal judges enormous authority over states that are going to be trending blue in the 2020s. Because remember, not only is there an election in 2020, there also, we hope, will be a census in 2020 that will put an end to some of the more extreme gerrymandering we've seen in places like Wisconsin and North Carolina. 
David, final question for you. So McConnell comes out last week and talks about you know changing the law so states could file for bankruptcy. He then yesterday softened a bit, suggested he would be open to federal aid for states and localities, which would kind of preempt the idea of any state needing to file for bankruptcy or have another sort of default. But he wanted to tie it to this idea of business liability waivers. From your perspective, is McConnell using this bankruptcy thing now just purely as leverage? In other words, do you think he's kind of given it up so long as he can get the other thing he really wants? Yeah, and you never know when a politician speaks on a radio show how top of mind the thing the politician says is. And also, it was a conservative radio show, Hugh Hewitt. So it might have been that McConnell was just sort of dusting off some of the greatest hits of the past and replaying them one last time. It may not have been a considered plan. But McConnell's, the basis of his power has always been that he's a realist. He doesn't imagine the victories that aren't going to happen. He leverages the power he has to achieve the results he wants. David Frum, whose piece, Why Mitch McConnell Wants States to Go Bankrupt, you can read at The Atlantic. You can follow him at David Frum on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure. Thank you. My final two, right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is High Times, the cannabis-focused media company best known for its iconic magazine. High Times this morning announced it will pay $80 million to buy a group of 13 California dispensaries. It's the company's first ever move into retail and says it will instantly turn High Times into California's largest branded cannabis retailer. Two things to know. First, California has allowed dispensaries to remain open as essential businesses, including the ones that are being bought here. Two, none of them are eligible for federal bailout funds, such as the Small Business Loan Program, nor are any cannabis-related businesses anywhere in America, open or closed, big or small. A High Times spokesperson tells Axios that deal negotiations began before March, but, quote, the pandemic has definitely played a role. And finally this morning, U.S. smartphone sales are expected to drop by as much as 15% this year, according to the Consumer Technology Association, which had been anticipating a 2% increase. Why? Well, why not? Consumer spending is down. There are fewer lost phones or broken phones, since most of us are stuck at home, and upgrade cycles had already been lengthening before the pandemic. Now, none of this has stopped new phone launches, including from Apple, whose February announcement about manufacturing delays was an early economic warning sign. But it's unclear if the change in demand will convince phone makers to hold off on releasing new models that are already in the pipeline. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Superhero Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.